Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Reaching the UML, the Untethered Modern Learner podcast. Today I interview Heather McGowan, catalyst, speaker, and author focusing on innovation at the intersection of work and learning. We have a great conversation about the future of learning in this episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Let's get on with the show. Hi, I'm Jamie Good, Digital Fluency Coach and Learning Technology Integrator, and you're listening to Reaching the UML, the podcast dedicated to discovering how we can reach the untethered modern learner. Here we discuss how to take learning and development into the future with innovation, technology, disruption, and a focus on performance. For more episodes, please visit digitalfluencycoach.com podcast. Enjoy this episode, and thanks for listening. Welcome back, everyone, to Reaching the Untethered Modern Learner. Today, I have Heather McGowan with me. Thanks for joining us today, Heather. Thank you for having me, Jamie. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to start out with having our guests just to tell people kind of what they do and uh, what interests you on your day-to-day. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that, please. Sure. I'm a, 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 an accidental careerist. Uh, my career is it sits at the intersection of the future of work and the future of learning. We're approaching a period of unprecedented accelerated change driven by a combination of globalization and technology, and I'm finding that the workplace is not prepared for it. But even more critically, our learning environments are not preparing people for it. So I found my way into this, and that's what I do. I work with both corporations, and I work with institutions of higher education. Oh, that sounds awesome. That sounds fun and exciting, too. <laughs> you never do the same thing two days in a row. Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably, yeah, probably never happens. And um, we were just talking briefly before we, we got on about how we met, and I believe it was through LinkedIn. Yep, it was through LinkedIn, and I think that's uh, becoming the new norm. This is my third podcast in three weeks, and they've all been with people I've never actually met, and I all met met them all through social media. Wow, that's so great. I love that. I have um, a really great, what we call, I guess, a personal learning network that I've built over Twitter and LinkedIn, and I think of all the people that are in my kind of sphere of, of um kind of connections and the people I learn with. I've probably met maybe 25 to 30% uh, in person, but it, but it, I mean, it doesn't matter these days, does it? Nope. This is the new normal. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And so when you say uh, future of work and future of learning, one of the questions I had for you is what do you believe maybe then is the future of learning and development? I think the future of learning and development is the end of education. I, and I wrote a blog post about this called Education is Over. And I only mean that provocatively because it used to be that education was a single dose. You went from uneducated to educated. And once you reach that educated state, you rode an escalator up through a, a job or a career um, channel and to a point in which you retired and died two years later. And now it's a combination of learn, leverage, and longevity. Mm-hmm. So learning has got to be, as Sebastian Throng, uh, founder of Udacity, says, something we do two minutes a day, like brushing our teeth um, twice a day. And I don't think we're there yet. I don't think our learning our, our learning systems are still based upon that. You are educated for the first 22 years of your life, mm-hmm. and then there are it's it's fairly spotty. Now MOOCs have come out, and a, and a variety of things have come out, but they're still stuck in that I'm going to take you from one state to another state. We're going to transfer the, as John Hagel from Deloitte says, we're going to transfer the predetermined skills to the next set of professionals. But, you know, according to Kathy Davidson's research, 65% of kids in school today are going to work in jobs that don't exist yet. So how are we preparing for that? I think it's um, fairly evident that we're not. 
That's a really interesting point about the fact that a lot of jobs that will be uh, out in the world in about 10 years don't even exist right now for people in universities. So maybe what when when you tell that stat to people and suggest this 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 new reality, what kind of tips or advice do you give people? How how can we deal with this? Well, I don't think it's a mistake that around I think about 2008 was the um the peak of inflated expectations if you use the Gardner hype cycle on design thinking. And I don't even know if that's the right word. Um, but I think we're reaching more using their model, the slope of enlightenment, that we really need to move away from our focus on rope memorization and anything, because anything routine, mentally or, or predictable, can be achieved by an algorithm. And 47% of our current jobs are going to go away in the next two decades, and it's even less than that, according to Oxford. We need to focus on uniquely human skills that right now can't be easily automated. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, was one of the reasons the design thinking craze sort of came about. It's how do you teach people to discover information, assess it, put it in context, form new knowledge, and apply it to new things? And I think that needs to become our new focus. On My current client, we call it the Agile Mindset. We say it's learning over knowing with a focus on empathy, divergent thinking, social-emotional intelligence, and an entrepreneurial outlook. Because it's how do you create new, find new needs, create new value propositions, and provide sustainable solutions. Right. So yeah, this all sounds really excellent. I've been actually speaking of MOOCs, um, what massive, sorry, what does MOOC stand for again? Massive Open Online Courses. Right. I've been taking one from Darden uh, about does design thinking, and I just am fascinated by it. I, I love it. I think it makes so much sense. And uh, you're, you're right, can be applied to, to learning and development. Um, would you mind explaining what the slope of enlightenment is to uh, listeners? Yeah. Gardner has this thing you can look up visually. I think visually, so I'll explain the visual. It's basically a hype cycle. They say when a technology comes out, Everybody gets really excited thinking it's going to solve every problem, even ones that don't exist yet. It hits a peak, and then it drops off, and everybody becomes disillusioned and says, well, that was never fulfilled its promise. Well, the hype created a promise greater than it was ever intended to fill, and then it rises back up again in what they call the slope of enlightenment, and then it reaches the peak of certain to fulfill the peak of productivity. And I think it can be applied to any anything. They focus it on technology, but... You can see that happening. I think the collaborative economy is coming out of the hype cycle. People are becoming disenchanted with it in terms of how it's uh, treating individuals. But I think that will eventually uh, right-size itself. Okay, interesting. That's that's something that we see a lot, uh, a lot more frequently, I think, these days because so many new technologies are released so often. Yeah. Um, so uh, this term, learning over knowing, I really like that. And so another question I was thinking to ask was, if I'm an instructional designer or I see a new term these days that people are using learning experience designer, what would I consider in terms of reaching what I call the untethered modern learner, those people who maybe don't come into the office anymore, might be anytime, anywhere needing uh, to learn? Um, the learning over knowing seems like maybe something that would make sense to this scenario. Is that correct? Yeah, I think we need to break learning down into work's been atomized. I think learning needs to be atomized. And atomized basically means, you know, work has moved in four directions. It's moved up to require more education. Everybody suddenly needs a bachelor's degree regardless of what you do. It's moved across to paraprofessionals, so people no longer need the the JD in law, a master's in law working alongside or under a JD or a nurse practitioner. If you go to your healthcare provider, you rarely see a doctor now. 
work is moving down where it's outsourced to history, and it's moving across in what we call atomized, which is basically you can go on Fiverr, Upwork, any of those things, and outsource a discrete job task anywhere in the world where you're competing with a human cloud of talent that lives in all sorts of price points. So when that's the reality, I think we need to break apart learning such that people can learn in increments, much, much smaller increments. Something you can do on your phone, two minutes, you can do it anywhere. Even MOOCs are packaged that you can consume them in little bits, but it's really planned around more like a course schedule. You don't live in a course schedule. That doesn't work anymore. So what are the skills you can pick up in two to five minutes every day? And they're just skills you're picking up. They don't become an end state. They become part of a constant norm, sort of snacking. Yeah, that's really great. So this would, this would of course, be uh, a focus on microlearning, which is something I like to talk about um, in, in my writing l- lately, too. And that it kind of – I have this kind of term that I thought up uh, uh, last year where you, we try to reach people between dinner and diapers, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, because we just have those micro moments here and there these days when we're running from soccer practice to who knows what. and But we still need to learn because things are changing so quickly. So do you have currently in in just your experience or in your life a way that you are grabbing this learning kind of in micro moments in your day? What what tools are you using? Um, I'm, honestly, Flipboard is great because I can skim through something really quickly. Um, Microsoft did a study a few years ago and found that in 2012 before – I mean, sorry, 2008 before the mobile phone, we had a 12-second attention span. In 2012, after the proliferation of the mobile phone, which tethered us to consuming more information every day, our attention span, our sustained attention span dropped to eight seconds. Mm. And by comparison, a goldfish has a nine second attention span. So our attention span is now less than a goldfish. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a professor, and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, who studies the amount of content coming at us a day. In the 1980s, it was the equivalent, if you measure it in newspapers, of 40 newspapers a day. In um, 2008, it became 174. In 2014, it became 280. So we have this huge amount of content coming at us every day. We're constantly looking at some form of device or input, and usually more than one at once. And our attention span is suffering. So when you're talking about microlearning, it's got to be visual. It's got to be quick. It's got to be something that I can integrate into my mindset, apply somewhere in my day, try out, and it's got to be constant. Right. So one of the one of the terms that you're reminding me of that I've heard lately is infobesity. I think we do have way too much coming at us. So do you feel that with Flipboard? I I remember when I was using Flipboard when I I when I had my iPhone I used Flipboard all the time and I, I found that what it was enabling me to do was kind of self curate um, the stuff that I wanted or needed to know. Is that so? How you're kind of approaching it? Yeah, I have about 35 magazines set up, and I'm happy to share them all with you where I'm curating content all the time. And sometimes I'm reading part of an article I may never go back to. Sometimes I do go back and read through articles again, but it allows me quickly on my phone to scan a bunch of people that I follow. I also look, I get a lot of great content from LinkedIn and Twitter as well. But So it's primarily socialized content that's curated by one person or other, and then I'm curating it again. So it becomes sort of a, a way of funneling all that content. I do drop in and out of MOOCs, but really I'm, I'm sort of the traditional profile of that 90% that never finishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when, when I'm 
going to sit down maybe now and plan a learning um, experience or, or like a workshop for people, do you think then that the curation piece should be something I should consider? Yeah, I think that um, if you think about it, when you go away to like a spa retreat, if you've ever done one of those kind of things where you're like, oh, I'm going to go become a different person now, you know, I'm going to do yoga all weekend and I'm going to eat vegan and and then you come back and you have a cheeseburger and you can't get to the gym the next day. <laughs> they they have figured out that by constantly pushing different types of content at you and reminders to make that behavior change, I think we need a similar thing around workshops. Too many workshops are hit and run. And Flipboard is a nice way of, of engaging people and being part of the conversation in terms of curating content. I think it's also um, useful in the more traditional classrooms as well. We're using it, in, my client and I are using it in uh, the textbook replacement. Oh, that's really great. Do you have um, – so you, you were mentioning that you could share your, your magazines. Is there a link that I could get from you after that I could share alongside this podcast for people? Yeah, absolutely. I have flipboards on the future work, future learning, accelerated change, and then design thinking, organizational change, a bunch of uh, subtopics within there. Oh, that would be excellent. And I think it, it sounds great that um, someone is using it for a course because one of the issues I, I believe that is – um, I think – can, can I, how could I say this? I, I don't really want to be say it that strongly, but I do believe that we are wasting time sometimes by creating um, courses that already exist. I mean, the, the content is already out there. Right. And um, this reinventing the wheel thing that I think happens so often, um, the time spent and the energy spent, the money spent on creating these like leadership courses, for example, um, I think would be better spent in curation and then working on the performance support after the fact. Yeah, because the way the leadership courses are, are set up, they're really still stage-on-the-stage stage, stage on the stage stuff, and there may be moments where the audience participates, but when you shift the responsibility for sorting through what's emerging every day on the student as well as the instructor, then it becomes a more of a peer learning environment, and that becomes the norm of what their life's going to be out, like, light out and work. Yeah, that's very true. That's that's one of the things that I think is important to remember is that we should try to replicate real life inside a classroom if we bother to do the classroom. Right. Um, one of the reasons I'm focusing on SMS and, and text message-based learning right now is just because I think it, it fits into the way we live. Um, and, and it's just convenient. It's it's easy. Um, I don't have to train people how to use it. Most people have a phone already text, so they know how to, how it works. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense. So other than other than Flipboard, um, is there any other place or, or, or tool that you're using? Well, you know, as we as you mentioned about how you've met, uh, I think 25 percent of your network between um, Twitter and LinkedIn. I certainly use those. So I use those for both content and then connections. I'm, I don't know. I have uh, 5,000 followers or so on LinkedIn and 1,200 connections, but I, I think I've met maybe 20 percent of them. Mm -hmm. like you, in person. So they mostly come from social media interactions. And from that, um, I've had conversations. I'm in the process of writing a book with somebody who I met in Australia. I went to Australia because Annalie Killian from AMP read a series of my blogs on LinkedIn, invited me to go over there and speak. I met uh, a series of people there and one of whom I'm writing a book now. And I think that's the new norm. And I learn a lot from all of those people. So my, my learning is it grows out of that social interaction. Oh, that's excellent. I just shared on LinkedIn actually this week uh, an article about um, a personal learning network, and I, I'm always encouraging people to create one, especially <clears throat> nowadays when I think we need to make sure that this whole silo idea is completely obliterated because 
when I when I connect with my contacts in the HR field and people who are kind of in engineering and project management, I'm constantly able to connect more dots. And I think I think that's super important for us these days. Yeah, and as as organizations evolve, the I think the HR departments are probably out of the HR departments need to appoint a chief learning officer. And that's not someone who sets up curriculum that you go to at interviews. That intervals. That's someone who facilitates omni learning. So you're learning all the time on the job. Learning just becomes part of work. Yeah, especially important these days when we have this a silver exodus, they call it, where uh, all the baby boomers are kind of leaving en masse. Um, uh, a learning organization, I think, is, is crucial. Yeah, I mean, that's the new competitive advantage is your speed to learn and adapt. Yeah, that's very true. And so um, I, I like to say in this podcast that I'm hoping to help people uh, like to, to elevate the profession, to take learning development up a couple of notches. And so it, with that in mind, how do you think that learning and development professionals could elevate their profession so that they, instead of being sort of told what they need to do and what, how they need to train people in the workplace, that they are actually seen as leaders who are kind of leading their teams into the future? I think we need to get this into the C-suite as, as part of the norm. You know, um, we, we have evolved, you know, marketing didn't exist before we had product differentiation and the need to distinguish what, you know, differentiates one market from another. We had to start creating a market. Now that so much of our work, anything routine or predictable can be done by an algorithm and we've got this combination of atomization and augmentation of work. The killer advantage is going to be your speed to learn and adapt. And how do you do that as an entity, but to embed learning in there and learning development professionals? I love that embed learning. That's a, that should be a T-shirt that everybody should wear around. <laughs> and so now, based on our conversation um, and some of the things we've talked about, if someone's listening, let's say they're they're they've got a lot of things going on in their head right now, and they want to kind of do something about this, which is I hope what people would like to do and make do some sort of action. What maybe would be your your first step you would recommend to people to kind of get going in this sort of direction that we've been talking about? I think it's doing just what you've done and what I'm trying to do, which is build your own brand. Get out there and start releasing some of those lessons. Start um, producing blogs, finding a company to pilot with. I mean, I found my way into two presidential advisory roles in higher ed by accident. Um, you know, they were both facing things that they didn't have. Nobody fit that square peg in the round hole. Be that square peg in the round hole. And in creating your own personal brand about your view of the future of learning and the the um, the imperative that it now is and start being that solution and get out there and create your brand. Well, that is awesome advice. I really love that. And there there's a, a, a statement there that I, I'm going to remember for sure. Be that square peg in the round hole. I think some people have a fear of being that person, but I think it's actually quite the exciting place to be. And like you said, no two days are the same for you. So why wouldn't you want to work like that, right? Yeah, you're essentially skating to where the puck's going to be. Don't look about where it was. Exactly. The 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 way the reason that Wayne Gretzky became the person that he was in sports, right? Right. Exactly. And so thanks for this. And I, I, I'm sure that people now would like to reach out to you and maybe have more questions, also are interested in, like you said, about Flipboard and some other things, design thinking. So if people want to reach out, where, how, where's the best way to uh, connect with you? Well, my LinkedIn network is open, so if you post that link, it's just Heather McGowan, um, and I'm in the Boston area. I think there's a couple of us, but not too many. Um, also, I have a personal website called heathermcgowan.net, and I speak at conferences. I speak in offices. I kind of create those catalytic moments that get people to think, 
Oh my god, we gotta get going. We're not looking at the right stuff. No, catalytic moments. That's great too. So thank you. I will, uh, as I said, I will put some of, the, of these things that you're mentioning, or all of these things, sorry, that you're mentioning, along with the show notes to this podcast too, in case someone might be driving down the highway right now and can't write this down. Um, so I, but I really appreciate this conversation. I think it's um, very important for us. And like you said, um, it's it's the advantage, the competitive advantage that's going to make the difference these days is the, our speed to learning and. and um, I can't. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I've had a great time talking to you. Yeah, well, thank you too. Okay, take Cheers. care. Yeah. Bye. Bye, bye. Thank you for listening to Reaching the UML. Visit digitalfluencycoach.com/podcast for more episodes, to subscribe to my newsletter, and to give any feedback you have on this episode. You can find me on Twitter at jgooddfc and on Facebook at facebook.com/digitalfluencycoach. If you've learned something with me today, please tell a friend and let me know if there's anyone you think I should interview. Thanks again, and let's elevate our profession together, shall we?